What's up, ladies and gentlemen? Joe Bonamassa here with another exciting episode of Live from Nerdville. Today, my guest is one, the only, Mr. Steven Van Zandt, AKA Little Steven. You know him from the E Street Band, his work with Bruce Springsteen, his own solo work, and as Silvio from The Sopranos. We talk everything from politics to music, his love of acting, um, and it's just a wonderful conversation. So please sit back and enjoy. And a little known fun fact, uh, he produced me when I was about 18 years old and a couple of the recordings just surfaced on my 20th anniversary, A New Day Now. So check it out. Hey man, how you doing? Snowy. How you doing? Good man, good. I'm, 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 I'm in Nashville, just hanging out, waiting for the second vaccine. <laughs> what, what, what are you doing? Why there? Well, I got my first one, I have a place here. And I got my first one at the Music City Center, which is like the convention hall, and there's nobody there. I get the second one tomorrow, and then I'm out. Then I'm, I'm, I'm ready to ready to rejoin society, as they say. <laughs> you know. So that, that's your main that's your main uh, residence in, in Nashville. Yeah, I've been here for four years. I still have the place in California, and I and I have a place in New York. But um, I, I, I've been here for four years. It's my band's here. Logistically, it's good. I have a lot of friends here, so I, I like it. I like Nashville. It's, it's, uh, yeah, it's nice. It's, it's, it's being gentrified at an alarming rate, though. I mean, it is just it, it, like this. They, what do they say in Tennessee? The state bird is a crane. You know, it's like it's just they're, they're building as fast as they can go. But are you in New York? Yeah. Yeah, I hear uh, it only, right. <laughs> one and only home. The I heard the um, uh, they're they're opening it up like on the first of July, full full on. Uh, they they moved it to May nineteenth. Okay. Yeah, it's a little uh, a little scary, but uh, whatever you know, I, I'm I'm vaxxed, so right. Fuck it. Yeah, I mean I. I I had COVID in December and then I got, I got the vaccine and I, I was one of the lucky few that actually didn't, it didn't really affect me too bad. I mean, like I've had head colds that were worse, but it's, it, oh. some people get really taken for a ride. You know, it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Fuck. But uh, anyway, um, what do you call it? Thanks for doing this. This is uh yeah, yeah, no, it's good to see you. You know, it's been, uh, we got some things coming out, right? That we did. We have a yeah. I think we do. Uh, just I think some stuff for the charity and and uh, and we're, you know we're doing this thing to raise money. So I think so. I'm not sure. I have to ask Carol. Was it a, was it a, was a box set or, or something of, of old some old stuff and some new stuff? That's right. Know. That's that's right. We did. We um, we we reissued um, the the 20th anniversary of my first solo record and some of the demos that you produced, we put, a, we put them on there to kind of show the, show the transition. So yeah, that came out last August. I can't believe it's been 20 years. Oh, that came out already. It came out in August. Yeah. So, oh, wow. I didn't even know that. You know, you oh, know wow. how it is with records. They, they come and go these days. It's like, <laughs> it's out. Yeah. Great. <laughs> Oh man, there were some good things, man. Kevin Shirley sent me some of them, uh, some some of those mixes, and uh, man, it sounded good. 
Yeah, it sounded pretty good. I, I it was good to go down memory lane. You know, I mean, I was, I was such a different. I was a kid. You know, I mean, I was, I was a kid back then. You know, believe you. Yeah, know, believe yeah, it or yeah, not, right I'm turning 44 next week. <laughs> wow. People are calling yeah, me a no, boomer, right. like Boomer Massa. That's 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 the that's the new slogan for the trolls. <laughs> Uh, when I met you, you were uh, you were you were a uh, a young prodigy. You were you were like you know, I was like seventeen hot, or eighteen. Yeah, a hot little kid. Yeah. So what's uh, what's what's going on? You guys, uh, the E Street Band, got any plans for uh, touring or anything like that? No, we couldn't really plan anything, you know, because of the craziness. Um, we just we I, I cut my tour short. Right. You know, I, I had done um, I had done two tours in a row, 17, 18, 19, uh, with my Soulfire album and uh, Summer of Sorcery, and and, um, right. and really had the most productive three years of my life. And then uh, I, I cut the I cut the tour uh, short so we could make make a record. And um, I thought we were going to tour summer of twenty twenty. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so we did the record really quick, and um, and and then the quarantine hit. So. Right. Um, you know, everything got put on hold. I don't know. Uh, we'll see. We'll, you know, th- this year is going to be a bust. Uh, it's just, it's just, it's just too um, up and down, especially right. considering what's going on in Europe. You know, because Europe's really an important part of the of the puzzle for us. You know, um, so I don't know. Ho- hopefully, we'll do something in twenty two. Um, if not, you know, maybe I'll do something with my my disciples of soul, or um, right. you know. I'll try and get a new TV show or something, but uh, but this year has been like just impossible to plan anything. So nothing's getting done, you know. I just uh, I spent the whole time writing a book, so that'll that'll come out end of September, and um, mixing a live summer of sorcery album, which will come out in July. Uh, you know, my record company keeps me busy because you know I'm, I'm checking demos and mixes of right. like twelve or fifteen bands, you know, so. You yeah. know, I check, check. I check literally every song. I try to, I try to really keep the, uh, keep the standards high on in the record company and, uh, and um, you know, and then we got the we got you know the radio the radio show was mostly already most of them, my DJ has been working from home already so right. the quarantine didn't really affect that too much and um, and of course my my uh, my curriculum my my music history curriculum was already online I got. 250 lessons online at teachrock.org. And, uh, and so the teachers have been using that while they're home for the quarantine. That worked out really, really well. So I didn't, you know, we didn't have, we didn't have to change too much for the quarantine because we were already either at home already or online already or, you know. Yeah. Uh, you know, so I spent most of the time writing this book, which was uh, not easy, not easy. No, no. <laughs> I started a guitar book and I was like, I don't have a year to... <laughs> you know, to put into this. It's, it's, it's a big commitment. It's a big commitment. And me, I'm just putting pictures of guitars and telling stories. I mean, you're writing a book book. This is like, like <laughs> I mean, yeah. yeah. I mean, if it wasn't for the quarantine, honestly, it never would have got done, you know, but you know, trapped it, trapped in the house. So, right. You know, got something done anyway. Everybody was at people. Were, Cause I, I, I was in New York city in April, May and June and actually into July as well. And people were asking me like what it was like. I was like, it's like the it's like the morning after New Year's Eve every day. There's nobody out there. No, there's nobody out. I mean, there's no cabs. You know, there's there's the, you know, it's just it, it it's surreal. 
to see, you know, like how, I mean, from the end of 19, uh, 2019, which was to me like a very, like it was such a, like a big year, lots of excitement, a lot of people out. It was probably the most social I've ever been. And I'm a pretty anti-social person. And, and, and then it just to a brick wall, nothing, you know? Yeah, it was, it was post-apocalyptic, you know? It's like a sci- sci-fi movie, man, for, for a long time. You know, we, we just uh, slowly starting to get back to normal. I mean, the, the masks are starting to disappear, right. um, you know, which makes me nervous. <laughs> but, you know, we'll see. We'll see. You know, we just got a real, a real problem in this country now that's, uh, you know, way beyond normal problems. You know, we, we miraculously have this vaccine and half the country's refusing to to take it you know so it's really weird right now so the so this thing's never going to go away that means and uh you know i ain't never shaking anybody's hand again i know that so you know certain things are going to be different yeah the the meet and greets will look a little different you know the 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 thing that's happening with this country I, i just can't get my head around it is like we cannot even agree if the sun is shining if you go outside on a sunny day, be like, hey, isn't it a beautiful sunny day? No, it's not. It's raining. <laughs> like, my eyes are, you know, you just, I mean, it's, it's very fractured. And it, to the point where, you know, I have friends all over the political spectrum. I just don't even talk about it anymore because it's just, it's like, I want to keep them as friends. It's just, there's no, they're never going to agree with my point of view, no matter what it is. And maybe I'll never agree with their point of view. It's, it's just, Talk about guitars, music. That's the that's the that's the binder of society. Music is. You know? I, I agree. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I I basically use that as you know. I mean, the old days, you know, in the eighties, the last time I I did anything as a solo artist, um, I was extremely political. You know, right. so so this past three years, man, I, I took the opposite approach. I was like, you know what? It's the politics is just redundant right now. I mean, there's nothing I can say that isn't being said. So let's 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 use music as our common ground. Everybody's welcome to come to the show, you know. Uh, and, and let's you know let, let's try and find something that we can agree on. Which, you know, I think music is is the great common ground. And, and um, so that, that was the theme I used for the last three years. But and it ain't getting any better. And it ain't gonna get better. You know, I don't I don't see this getting fixed anytime soon. You know. Yeah, I mean, but I mean, you see it. I mean, on a global scale, you, you you'll show up in Barcelona, and and they'll sing "Born to Run" just as loud as 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 uh, people in Jersey or in in Australia or in Portugal or wherever South America. It, it really is the the great uniter. There's something intrinsically about us as human beings that the music touches, that. Yeah. It, it goes past cultural divides, language barriers, political barriers. I mean, it, it, there's something about it that just, you know, bonds us as humans. No, it's, it's, it, it's absolutely right. It's primal. It's, uh, it's universal. And, uh, and, and thank goodness, because, you know, I don't know what else is going to be holding us together these days. I mean, it's this craziness politically is going on everywhere, by the way. It's not just here. This last yeah. four years. I mean, you know, Brexit was just a disaster. We got there's problems in Indonesia, there's problems in Australia, Poland, Hungary. Um, if it's not right wing nationalism, you know, basically uh, fascism, you know, by a different name, 
it's uh, it's religious extremism. You know, right. everywhere, everywhere you look. I mean, and you know, we I just did went around the world twice, and it was like, man, it's not just America that's got these problems. You know, it's a it's a it's a universal problem, and I and I think I know why, man. I I I just think you know, at this point, everybody is just disappointed with their lives. Okay, I mean, I, honestly, and, and this is a worldwide phenomenon. It's not not just here. You know, people are working harder than ever and getting right. back less. You know, right. you know what I mean? You know, there's no, there's no luxury time anymore. There's no, you know, there's no people are working two jobs and they can barely make the rent, you know? Yeah. So something seems to be really fundamentally wrong, you know, that, that, that drives people to, um, to, to this kind of disappointment level. And then along come these demagogues, you know, along come these, these cats who are going to take advantage of it. Say, yeah. okay, you know, you're, you're, you're disappointed with your life. Well, guess what? It's the black guy's fault, right. you know. Yeah. It's the immigrants' fault, you know. You know, don't 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 blame yourself or don't blame your government. God forbid, you know. It's got to be that black guy's fault, you know. And 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 man, it works. That just that just works, and it works everywhere. You know, it's either the wrong religion, the wrong color, or an immigrant or something, you know. And man, we got to you know. So there's a fundamental problem in the system that just isn't working. That. Somebody's got to figure out soon, I hope. You know, you know the thing is, um, people who don't read history are doomed to repeat it. And I'm one of the things I'm really passionate about is I love history. I watch, I watch it on television. I read, you know, lots about history. And you just look at it, and it seems like every century, every century from 17th, 18th, 19th, 20th, and there's always, there's always this, like, generational shift of thinking of like, well, I don't have it quite as good as my parents or, or, or I, you know, I'm disappointed in, in my government or, or my economic situation. And, and in conversations I've had over the last 20 years, the anger really starts with the price of a cup of coffee. Like I would, I, when I remember when the, the Euro came in having conversations with my Dutch friends going, can you believe this shit? You know, like price of coffee went from $2 to, to, to $5, you know, and then when Starbucks came out, like, who's going to pay $6, then everything slowly gets more expensive. And then you're going, I'm working harder and I have nothing to show for it. I can't buy, I, I make a hundred thousand dollars a year and I can't afford a house in the San Fernando Valley in California. Well, you, you amplify that over the course of time, you're going to get a lot of people pissed off and, yeah. and it's the perfect storm. That's it. That's exactly right. And, you know, and then along comes somebody to take advantage of it. You know, uh, you know Trump comes out of the woodwork, and uh, suddenly, you know, our country uh, goes goes split in half. I mean, right. Seventy percent, seventy percent of the Republicans in this country don't believe Joe Biden is a legitimate president. Seventy percent. That's the okay. That's the yeah. You know. I mean, where, where do you go from there? You know, right. you know, you got these assholes in Arizona counting the votes again right mm -hmm. now. Right. right now. It's 200, you know, you know. so I don't know. I don't, I don't know where we're going, but, but you know, I'm, I'm just hoping that uh, the problem is, you know, if everybody was vaccinated, this, this thing would go away. You know, it actually, it, these things do end if people act properly. Right. If they don't act properly, it's just going to keep it's just going to keep feeding on itself forever, you know.
What do you so, what do you think the role is of social media in that? Because like you know, in the eighties when you did those the the Sun City, you know the 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 song Sun City and and your artist you know United Against Apartheid, you know like that, you know I remember reading about that and hearing the song and it was like everybody could get on board because it was like oh I, I we nobody wants apartheid nobody wants that kind of bullshit anymore. And and it was it was a singular message. And like, how do you think that would have played out if you did that in the 80s? But there was social media and and varying amounts of of people pulling to one side or the next. Do you think it would have truncated the message or do you think it would have helped it kind of explode a little more? Uh, That's a good question, man, because I'll tell you the truth. We kind of snuck up on them. They didn't see us coming, you know, right. And I think that was to our advantage. I mean, it it made us work a little harder because it wasn't really an issue in America. You know, I mean, nobody knew about it. Nobody was really worrying about it. In Europe, it was a different story, you know, but but here it wasn't really an issue. So we kind of snuck up on it. And and then, thank God, I mean, and radio wouldn't play it, by the way, because it was too black for white radio, too white for black radio. Right. Talking about apartheid, you know, we got our own apartheid right here. Uh, and, And so... Thank God MTV played it and BET, the Black Entertainment uh, Network, right. played it or else nobody, nobody would have ever heard the song. But we, we kind of, uh, you know, you wonder, you know, you wonder what would have been the opposition because, I mean, I, I was getting my life threatened even then just, just because it was a Black issue. So when you see what's going on now, right. you know, where we have the Republicans with 250 different pieces of legislation, 250 right now in every state that they control trying to, you know, make it harder for black people to vote, you know, um, you know, you got to think to yourself, it's better that we snuck up on them when we did, you know, because we probably couldn't do it now. I mean, I I don't think you could do it now, honestly, you know, Um, it's just too much of too much of that, you know, social media thing. I don't know, man. I'm seeing it. You know, at first it was really exciting. And, um, you know, I love information the way you do and right. history and, and just, you know, what an easy way to find out stuff. It's great. But, um, you know, I, I think we're, we're heading towards a very dangerous point in our history when we're going to have to defi- decide uh, unless social media changes somehow and starts policing themselves somehow. I think we're heading towards a decision between do we want democracy or do we want to have a freedom of speech? Right. Because we, we may not be able to have both anymore, you know? Yeah. And the reason is this, the, the lies on social media travel faster than the truth right. can catch up to it. I mean, oh, yeah. that, that's, that's a fact, man. You know, that's why, you know, like bad press travels way. If somebody, if somebody meets me on the street and I was, I was a little grumpy, that guy's going to, that person who met me on the street is going to tell 20 people what an asshole I am. Right. <laughs> but, if, but, if, but if you meet me on the street, I'm like, Hey man, let's take a photo and I'll buy you coffee. Right. <laughs> the, it just kind of ends right there. You, know, you see it all the time, but it, it, it it's amplified. Like, you know, it's, it's, yeah. My issue with social media is like, you know, we, we, we were one of the first, you know, like we really kind of started marketing ourselves on Facebook. And that was back when people would, would just kind of roll their eyes and like, oh, I don't want to see your lunch anymore. Here, we're having, we're having avocado toast for lunch or whatever, you know. And it was, just, it was just a bunch of people sharing food and pictures of guitars. Then it became weaponized. 
then it became uh, a, a vehicle for for destruction and they've now taken that to a fine art and you don't even know who's yeah. real on there it, it's it, you know it's it's like are these bots are these people with multiple accounts you know just causing trouble because they're unhappy and it's really just a a a a, a a magnified view of how really angry and, and, and troubled people are, you know, and they're, they, they don't want the best yeah. for society. They want the worst. Yeah. And, uh, you know, yeah, it's, it's a way of revenge for most people. And, and, you know, and I think, I just think Zuckerberg, I think they have to face, they have to face the facts that they're not just some neutral entity, you know, that can put up whatever people want to put up. I mean, right. they got to face the fact that at some point they're going to have to, you know, when it comes to, um, you know, election type ads or, or advertising or something, right? You know, somebody's going to have to vet these things and see if they're telling the truth or not. I mean, because if if not, if, if this keeps up like like it's been like it's been going, man. Uh, we're in big trouble. We're in big trouble because we can't freedom of speech was something that, you know, is the old thing. You know, you can't yell fire in a in a in a crowded theater. Right. You know, right? Well, people are yelling fire in a crowded theater every five fucking minutes. You know, yeah. and, and you know, and, and they're causing the fire. <laughs> you know, <Yeah>. it's like, <laughs> you know, uh, and I mean, and and the, you know, unless we can find a way for the truth to keep up with the lies. I think this First Amendment is out the window, man. I'm not kidding. I mean, the whole freedom of speech thing is going to have to take a. It's going to have to, you know, be be looked looked at in a whole different way. You know. Yeah, things you can't write. Now, I live in uh, I live in Laurel Canyon, and we 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 live under the threat of every every um every time somebody takes a cigarette and irresponsibly throws it out the window, I, I cringe because that cigarette is lights one stick and the whole canyon goes up okay everybody loses their play you know whatever and and the 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 real what the hell moment for me was when they started talking about jewish lasers from outer space starting for forest fires i'm like if you got the greatest hollywood writers and said come up with the most far-fetched nonsense you could possibly think of 50 people couldn't come up with that who you know no i think roger roger corman would have rejected that one yeah you know i mean it it, it it's like it, it beyond <laughs> I, I mean it's not funny but it's funny you know it's it, i laughed i go i thought i thought it was some sort of like you know like the, with the i thought it was some sort of like onion headline <laughs> or you know like some kind of parody and I'm like, no, this yeah. is this is believed by some people, which is it, it tells you about the echo chamber. If you if you shout things within a group of people that want to believe something that eventually they just kind of just. Oh, I mean, well, the, the, the QAnon thing is, is, right. is, you know, I mean, that says it all. And, you know, uh, liberal, democratic celebrities are you know having sex with children and then eating them eating them yeah and there's two of these people in congress <laughs> okay yeah <laughs> right? You're right two there's two QAnon people in congress right now elected right you know so i mean you know you start to think 
am I in the right country at this point? <laughs> you know, I mean, yeah. if, if, if 22 goes the wrong way, man, I don't know. I don't know, man. It's time to start considering like, uh, you know, is there any hope for this country or what? I mean, you know, if they, if they get back, if they get back the house or the Senate, forget it, forget it. Well, I also you think know? it's like the politics of celebrity. You know, it's like, you know, like it started kind of with Ronald Reagan, then it was Arnold Schwarzenegger. And now us, us poor Californians are going to have to go through that whole recall thing again, where you're going to get everyone from porn stars to somebody's the great grand dog of Lassie gonna, is going to run, you know, and, 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 it be, and it makes a mockery of and it, and it really turns off qualified people from even wanting to get involved because like I'm, I'm not going to ruin my reputation over anything. But um, tell me about like, you know, um, you know, as, as, a, as a musician, you're, you're one of the most prolific, knowledgeable musicians I, I've, I've ever met. Um, as far as you're, you're, you're literally a living encyclopedia of music, you know, and I, I think I know a little bit about music, but I don't know anything. I mean, how do you how do you manage? I mean, you're a program director for two channels on Sirius. You have your own radio show which Little Steven's Underground Garage, which I've been listening to for almost 20 years because I hear stuff that, A, I would never even think to look for, but it's curated and cool. Mm. How do how did you know, because I do, I do one measly little show a week on the Blues Channel on Sirius, and even programming a dozen songs every week, you start going, oh, I'm going to repeat myself. Where do I find this stuff? I mean, where do you even begin? Yeah, yeah, it, it was a funny thing because... Uh... I mean, I, I, just, I just turned the radio on one day and, I, and I'm like, man, what happened here? You right. know, because I was very, very lucky to grow up when, when I did. I, you know, we were the luckiest generation without a doubt. I mean, we grew up in a renaissance period. So I witnessed everything, everything except the first decade of rock and roll, you know, which I, I had to go back and research the 50s. Right. But other than that, I, I just was I was there. I mean, I'm just kind of watching it and observing right. it. And, you know, and then I eventually started living it. But but um, so I kind of like um, I started, you know, I said, man, when I grew up, you know, you know, you trusted you had a relationship with your DJ. You had a relationship with a radio station yeah. and you, you couldn't wait for them to turn you on to something, you know, and then suddenly the whole classic rock uh, format got very conservative through the years you know and a lot of them were my affiliates uh, right. for my for my syndicated show uh, but I'm the only one playing new stuff they, they won't they won't play new things anymore you know so I so I you know so I started this thing I said man I, I gotta bring back radio the way I the way I remember it and and this serious satellite turned out to be a, a godsend but I, I started two or three years before Sirius came. Right. So I was just doing the weekly show. But in order to do my two hour weekly show, I had to create a whole new format. That's, and that's what right. I did. You know, and I said, OK, I can do anything I want. Uh, what what is that? <laughs> you know, yeah. watch watch out for what you wish for, you know. And um, I decided when well, my life began with what we call the British invasion. OK, mm -hmm. of, of 64 and 65. So I said, I'm going to use that as my centerpiece. Okay, I'm gonna use the British invasion, and then I'm gonna I'm gonna play everything that influenced the British invasion, and everything the British invasion has influenced since. You know, right, right. So, so right away, going back, what influenced the British invasion? Well, all the pioneers. Yeah. You know, 
Richard, Buddy Holly, you know, Chuck Berry. I put the pioneers in. I put the blues guys in, Muddy Waters and Little Walter and Elmore James. Um, I put in the soul guys and R&B guys, you know, Sam Cooke, James Brown, you know, uh, Ray Charles. Uh, and, and, you know, the girl groups, you know, uh, like Shirelles and, and Chiffons and Shangri-Las, you know, Surf, you know. So I, I, I just put all these categories together, you know, and I built like 20 or 25 categories uh, like the Beatles, for instance, would have their own category. Right. Uh, the Stones have their own category. You know, and, and then and then when it came to you know, and then and then so I was just picking from that from my syndicated show. I, I can only I play about twenty five songs in two hours because mm -hmm. you know I, I don't play anything slow, mm -hmm. and I don't play anything over three and a half minutes. So I, right. I wanted it to be like fast paced yeah. kind of fun, you know, rock and roll dance party, really. Right. You know, because when I grew up, people danced to rock and roll, which you know. Yeah. No one's seen that in 40 years, uh, you know, but, but I had that in my mind. So so that was it. I started assembling these things. And then when it came to serious, so now I got a program 24-7, seven days a week. And you can't believe how that's how that eats up the songs. It eats up. I think I, I, I figured it out once. I remember now it's like it's like thirty five hundred songs a week. Wow. Okay? You know, yeah. Yeah. I mean, so, you know. Now my 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 own format. I have I think close to six thousand songs, which I pick, right? I, I hand pick, you know. But and, and we're always playing new things all, all the time. Um, so it just became a, a category thing. Okay, I'm going to play the Beatles and Stones every hour. I'm yeah. going to play the Kinks and the Who every other hour. Right. You know, the Birds every every three hours. You know, soul music so so often. This yeah. one that's you know. You know and I just, and I just figured out all these categories and then, and then, you know, listen to it and then listen to it. And I, and I keep improving it to this day. I, I'll, I'll keep improving it in the, but I, but I wanted to have a place to play new music because nobody was doing that either. Cause you know, cause you know, you, you, you get caught in between right now, this generation is caught. The oldies format is like the eighties, you know, they go back to like the eighties. I'm like, right. so nobody's playing the fifties and sixties, even, even, even barely the seventies. Yeah. So you're missing the entire Renaissance. You're missing the, all the best music ever made. It no longer has a format. I right. said, well, I gotta, I gotta include that. And nobody's playing new stuff. Right. Now we have played, we, we counted them the other day. We, we got, we've played over, I think 1100 new bands. That's More great. than a thousand That's new fans in twenty years. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, it's hard to it's hard to break through these days. You know, as you know, yeah. I mean, uh, you you you're you're luckier than most being in that in that genre uh, because that's a that's a that's a living genre. You know, the blues genre is a is a nice place to be because you know. There's uh there's over 500 blues festivals in the world, first of yeah, all, right. you know, which people don't realize unless you're into the blues, you know. Yeah. And, and you know, and, and it has a it has kind of a built-in audience, so there's a there's a there's a bit of stability in, in that blues world that doesn't exist in rock and roll anymore, you know. Um, you know, and that's why I was encouraging I was encouraging Dion to to jump in because uh, right. you know, and that wonderful thing you you did on Dion's record, you know, we we played the hell out of that. Um, Thank you. Yeah, you know, he's a national treasure. He's an international treasure. Yeah, you know? man. Yeah, you know. And I, and the first time I met him, did he, did he ever tell you the first time I met him? Did no. Tell you that story. <laughs> I'm uh, I'm playing Las Vegas with a group called the Dovells, which was like an early '60s group. And uh, 
and, 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 and we go up, and this is like 73, right? The last year that the mob was in Vegas, you know? Mm-hmm. And I'm so, I'm so glad I saw that, that, that version of Las Vegas because it was so different. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, I'm, and, I, and I got friendly with the, with the lighting guy. And he took me way up, in the, way up high where the, where the spotlights were mm-hmm. and, and, uh, in, this, in the lounge. And it was like dark, you know, and, and, and I'm way up in the lounge and suddenly I hear something that's, that sounds familiar. I'm like, what, what is that? What is that? And it was Robert Johnson, right? I'm like, right. now the last place you expect to hear Robert Johnson, right? Am I hallucinating or what, you know? And I, and I realized it's coming from the stage. I said, like, well, who's that? He says, that's Dion, you know? So uh, I, I ran down there and I said, man, you know, because uh, I, I never connected. I never, for some re- stupid reason, I never connected the blues with his early stuff. But of course, it's right. really obvious that, you know, yeah. um, Wanderer and everything else right. is just straight up blues, you know, basically. Right. Uh, uh, so, you know, we got we got friendly. We got friendly just on the basis of, uh, of Robert Johnson there, you know. But uh, but I you know I was encouraging him through the years to do do more blues because he's so good at it, and he has that great voice you know and, and uh, which just it just you know works for blues it works for rock it works right. for soul you know his voice is just like the way he sings is just is just unique you know uniquely authentic in every in every genre you know so I'm so glad man he did that blues record last year and. I think that's his biggest record. I, I think so. I mean, he's doing really another one. He, he's doing another one, and um, you know, he's just he's he's re-inspired. He like he just he just loves writing blues songs. And we're like, let's do it. You know, I, you know. Speaking <laughs> of people that that um, that are in, in my mind somewhat criminally underrated, I watched you give, in my opinion, one of the greatest, if not the greatest, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction speeches of all time when you inducted Felix Cavallari and the rascals and because you know felix lives here in nashville and you run into him and you just go man criminally underrated singer songwriter act you know it was just yeah. magnificent music yeah it took a it took a long time to get him in too i mean it took, took, took too long too long to get right. him in you know and uh yeah 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 yeah, my history with them does does not have a happy ending, but uh, oh, it doesn't. Sorry. No, no, that's all right. It's all right. You know, I ended up I ended up uh, reuniting them and uh, writing and directing and producing a Broadway show for them. Right. And, uh, and nothing was enough for Felix, so uh, we ended very, very, very badly. But uh, I'm still friendly with Eddie Brigatti. You know, right. one of them. Right. But, uh, the rest, not so much. But 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 you know, which doesn't take away anything from their records. You're totally no. right. They were just phenomenal records, and uh, and and I really had to fight to get him into the Hall of Fame. It was it was, you know, after a while, people people forget. You know, if, if they didn't see them live, and they they were one of the greatest live bands I've ever seen. Right. Eddie Brigatti was, uh, you know, I mean Mick Jagger was kind of imitating. You know. Right. James Brown and Tina Turner, Eddie Brigatti was actually a, a great dancer, you know. Right. And, and so, you know, that was very unusual for white for white acts. You know, there were, you know, the amount of white acts that were actually performers you can count on one hand. I mean, it's just right. one of those weird things. You know, all the 
great performers were black. So, so the, the you know a few a few of the white acts, you know, in, imitating the black performers, you know, uh, and you know Elvis Presley, starting with Elvis Presley, and then and then um, you know Mick Jagger and 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 then Eddie Brigati, you know, just really 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 good at it though, and um, you know to this day, you know, not that many, you know, Iggy Pop is you know. Yeah, Peter Garrett, but there's not there's not a lot of great you know great white performers to this day. Peter Wolf, but, uh, I would I would put Peter Wolf from oh, the Jake Peter, definitely 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 Peter Wolf, absolutely. Yeah. And now, how frustrating am I not being able to get them in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? I mean, I mean, you know, I've I've been trying every single year. What's, uh, we'll, we'll get them in, we'll get them in, but man, it's so hard, it's so hard to get in. What's you know? what's what do you think? And, and not to put you on the spot because I know you're involved in that, and I I vote too, and. But I, sometimes I just sit there and I just go, what's the hang up, fellas, ladies, people, help me, you know, because I'm, I'm a big British blues guy. The, the fact that free is not in, you know, anything having to do with Paul Rogers is not in bad company free. We're, we're in the rock and roll hall of fame. You cannot, you cannot go 20 minutes scrolling through a radio, you know, your radio in your car without hearing all right now. And it's, 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 it's frustrating because a lot of people have died and it really like my friend, Chris Squire died before yes went in. And it, I, last time I saw him, he, 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 it meant something to him because I don't know why we don't get in, you know? I know. Well, you know, it's only, we only get five or six in a, you know, a year and, right. uh, you know, everybody comes with two or three acts that, that are totally deserving to be in and, you know, we just right. fight it out. And, you know, and, you know, it's hard. It's just, it's just, it's just really, really hard to get in. You know, and, and uh, you know, we just keep trying, keep trying. But, but, but it's, uh, it, it's also, you know, you got many generations now, so it's making it mm -hmm. harder for the some of the older acts, you know, to get in. But, you know, we have these separate committees now that are trying to take care of that. You know, rather than having to vote, you know, the 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 nine hundred or thousand people that vote. Right. Um, tend to vote for the newer acts usually, you know. So, yeah, we're trying to compensate for that. Yeah, you know, we're trying to improve things all the time and, and, and make it more fair. But it's 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 tough. It is it tough. Really it's, is tough. It, it's it's tough because it's all it's it's easy to armchair quarterback things, but it's it's difficult when you're in the in the in the middle of a of an apparatus that's been there a long time. Hey, you know, I want to ask you because one of my favorite blues rock records of all time, Archangels. You produced that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Still one of the great yeah. sounding blues albums, and and when I when I first got that because I was uh, obviously a big Stevie fan, it was one of the first things that Chris and Tommy did um, post Stevie Ray Vaughan with you know Charlie Sexton, you know Doyle, and I think it was it Ian McLagan on piano on that. Yes, yeah, yeah. And um, yes, yes. to Reese's chagrin. Because he he goes, oh, they did that Archangels record without me, you know, you know, Reese Winans. He plays in my band, you know. I'm like, I don't know, Reese. I, I wasn't around. I would have called you anyway. But um, you know, tell me what it was like to be like, because you 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 you. I think you had a relationship with Charlie, and and yeah. he asked you to, to 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 do the record. What was it like going diving headfirst into Texas? Austin, Texas blues scene, which is about is it's like jumping into a basket of of, of jackals. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're so right, man. I had no idea what I was getting into. Um, 
you know, it was tricky. Uh, 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 this cat, Gary Gersh, who was, uh, he was an A&R guy at the time. Uh, uh, he, he works for one of the touring companies, you know, AEG or the other one now. I, right. I, I don't know. But, uh, but you know, um, he says, I want, I want to put this band together, you know, and, 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 and uh, there's kind of an Austin kind of super group, you know. And he knew that, you know, I would, I would, I would be able to make it sound like a band, you know, because right. when you got two different singers, you know, and, and two different points of view and, you know, plus a rhythm section coming from where they're coming from and right. all that. So, you know, it, it happens to be something I, I, I do know how to do. And, um, you know, it was rough. Uh, it got, it got rough. You know, you, you've managed, you've managed to pick out the two, <laughs> the two most unpleasant experiences of my entire <laughs> music life, you know, between the rascals and the archangels. I mean, I, you know, uh, the rehearsals were okay, you know, and I was trying to get him to, you know, uh, work together, you know, and, and sing together, you know, sing yeah. every other line and, you know, make, do those things that integrate a band and make it sound right. like a band, you know, and rehearsals were okay, but Doyle had an attitude from the beginning. I don't know why, you know, they just, I don't know if he felt I was just going to favor Charlie somehow, right. which I had no intention of doing. I, I did the record because of Charlie, because I just felt he had never been produced properly. I, I didn't feel he was, he was being presented to the public the right way because he's just one of the great guitar players, you Singers, know, of all time. Yeah. Yeah. And nobody knew it. No, nobody knew it. You know, you know, they they try to make him a pop guy. You know, right. I'm like, he's not a pop guy. You know, uh, he's just, you know, a case of just being too good looking for his own good. You know, right. Anyway, so so um, you know, we got in the studio and suddenly, you know, Doyle became a problem and. Uh, I guess he was, it was at the height of his drug problems, you know, which right. he's now straightened out. And right. I'm sure he's a wonderful guy right now. And, you know, right. he's, a, he's been, done some great things, you know. But, man, everything was an argument, everything, you know. And he had gotten into this thing, you know, he kind of went the way that Stevie Ray Vaughan went, which I also felt was a mistake, uh, all due respect, you know. And, I, and I, I loved Stevie. I gave him one of his first gigs, you know, opening for me. Uh, in, at the Rock Palace in, in Europe. Oh, wow. This huge, this huge TV show, yeah. Yeah, I had him open up. I was like, man, this kid's <laughs> keeping the blues alive. Right. I said, you know, <laughs> I said, nobody's ever going to hear him. You know, <laughs> no right. one's ever going to hear this poor kid. I mean, put him on the show. Right. So I, I actually met him quite early on. And, uh, you know, and I was a fan of his, but, I, I, you know, it was unfortunate that he kind of kind of got a little too into Jimi Hendrix for his own good, I felt. You know, and then Doyle kind of was following that same path of, you know, playing everything with like super distortion and, and, you know, and, and I was playing these solos that, that didn't make any sense, you know, that just were just noise, you know, and, and I'm like, man, you know, Doyle, you know, you got to give me some melody here, man. I mean, we got to have, you know, this is, this not, it's not fitting the song number one you know but uh, you know you're a great guitar player and nobody's gonna know it if you're just making a bunch of noise here you know nice. and uh so we had, you know he's like what do you know about the blues you know <laughs> like, instead oh. of jumping into a basket of jackals <laughs> i've been asked that a lot online <laughs> yeah anyway so it was kind of it was kind of ugly but we you know but we got the record done miraculously and uh and, and it turned out, turned out, turned out good, you know. But turned out really good. Not, and 
And, you know, and that's the one thing about record production that I wanted to ask you. It's like, you know, because, you know, sometimes, you know, like the, the end result, like the, the, the consumer, me, puts the record on and it sounds inspired. It sounds joyous. It sounds like cool and hip and a really, really good, you know, like a really wonderful take on, on, on a genre that's seen it all and been there and done that. What you don't see is the backstory, you know, of like of how you get there. It's not, you know, it's like you want to think it's just all this cohesive thing, but there is a fight. And 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 sometimes I think the best records are when, you know, not not like the what was it, the trogs when they're when they're about to kill each other on on tape. But 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 you know what I mean? You know what I mean? There's having that rub makes for a better product. Well, it, it can, I, I suppose. I just, I'm just not that kind of guy. You know, I mean, they're, they're, and believe me, there are producers that mm. love that shit. They love, you know, getting people going and, you know, uh, they're, and same like film directors, same, right. same, same kind of thing. You know, you know, they feel they got to get people going and, you know, and, 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 you know, drama, 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 you know, and I'm, I'm a really no drama guy. I just, you know, I, I've gotten to the point where I want to enjoy life every day. Okay. I, I, I'm not like, let's, let's get this thing done somehow so that I can enjoy it at the end. I'm like, no, right. I got to right. enjoy the journey, man. You know, I'm a, I'm a exactly. journeyman, exactly. you know, right. you know, and, and so I don't allow any drama on the road with me and my band. And, and when, and when I produce records, it's the same thing. And so, this was a very, very unusual. I can't think of another example um, in, in in terms of making records, producing records. I can't think of another example where I had a problem like this because it just right. it was so alien to me to have a problem. I'm like, you know, I'm sorry, you know, all all do all, all do humility. I'm right. as good as it gets. Okay, I mean, <laughs> I know what I'm doing. Okay, right. I'm gonna make you a great guitar player. I'm gonna make you a great singer. You know, better than you know. As good as you can be, I'm going to bring it out, you know, because I yeah. know what good singing is, good playing is, good right. writing is. Right. I, I know all these things. And I'm going to make sure that, you know, you're making the best record of your life. You know, yeah. that's what I do, you know. So I'm, I'm there for you. So what are you fighting with me for? You know what I mean? Right. Like, um, I'm not, you know, uh, you know, but I, I have to be collaborative like that. I'm not, you know, and there are some producers that just, you know, come in like a referee or something, you know, and just like get the record done, you know, right. and, you know, but I, I, I'm a collaborator, man. You know, if I, me and the artist got to agree on it or else, you know, it shouldn't go on the record. You know, if I can't talk them into something or they can't talk me into something, then we're better off not putting it on the record. You know, let, let's have a safety, a safety net of like, we both got to agree on something, you know, yeah. and sometimes it takes a minute to get there, but, but that, that is worth, you know, and that could be a real, it could be a heavy, intense discussion, but it's, but it's right. a positive, the positive discussion, you know, yeah. you know, people are with legitimate, legitimate ideas that, you know, and, and we got to, you know, we got to either change the way we're thinking about something or, or, or find a solution to the problem. And, you know, and, and we're working to, but, but it, the main thing is we're working together. Right. And it's, and, and ultimately it's going to be your, your picture on the cover, you know, so, you, yeah. you know, but, but my first job as a producer, I always feel people say, oh, what's, what's your first job? You know, to have a hit. And I'm like, no, my first job is to protect the artist. That's first. Okay. Right. Because there's a lot of artists that are completely suicidal. Okay. <laughs> They're like, they, you know, full of self-destructiveness, full mm -hmm. of self-destructiveness, you know, and, and that's just, that just kind of goes with the territory a little bit, you know, brilliant, brilliant minds 
are just one inch away from total self-destructiveness, you know, yeah. for some reason, you know, and, and you know, and, and, and you got to keep them on, on you got to keep them on the right side of that line, man, you know, yeah. and, and sometimes it's a little harder to work than others, but I find that to be valuable. And in the end, um, you know, if my name's on something, man, you know, I, I, you can depend on it. Okay. You know, uh, I don't, I don't do things that are mediocre. I just don't. Right. You know, because I, I, I demand greatness, you know, and, 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 and uh, that's just, I decided that early on, you know, either I'm going to be a quality guy or I'm going to be a quantity guy. You right. Know? So, right. you know, I wish I had more output than I do, but I'd rather stick with the quality, you know, people see my name on something that they can depend on it. You know, uh, it's simple yeah. as that. Absolutely. Um, tell me about the, the Jersey scene, like in the seventies, when you met Bruce and Southside Johnny you know, there seemed like there was something in the water that was <laughs> that was just this. It, there was just this confluence of influences and people getting together to, and there was this explosion. Obviously, Bruce being the the, the your work with Bruce and everything, you know, being the the largest explosion of the of the of the territory. But you know, there, there was there was a to this day. You know, you, you, you cross the bridge into Jersey. There's a different vibe musically. There's a different, just everything down there. You know what I mean? It, it's just, it's a, it's like a world in what in itself. Yeah. I, I talk about this quite, quite a bit in the book, uh, but, but basically, um, you know, what, what makes the scene, um, you know, and, and there's a little bit of luck involved because I've tried, I've tried it other times. And, and, and not has been as successful, but, but um, I mean, it started off with me and Bruce just um, being freaks. You know, we were, we were kind of the two freaks in our, in our area, mm-hmm. uh, that whole region. And, and um, we were freaks because we really believed in rock and roll a hundred percent. And there was no plan B for us, you know? So right. we kind of hung together and became best friends very early on. We're like 15 you know, kind of strengthening each, each other because there was right. nobody, you know, I mean, it wasn't even a legitimate business until the seventies. So, yeah. you know, it wasn't going to be a business for like another seven years, you know, or something, right. you know, so we were like, really like one step away from, you know, looked at like the junkies and criminals, you know, uh, anyway, so, so that, it starts with that kind of spark and then a weird club in Asbury park, that you know, and there were, and there was plenty of places for us to play, which is why we we're the luckiest generation. I mean, all kinds of beach clubs and high school dances and VFW halls, and but but this and and and, and clubs that were built for our generation. Now I've never seen that before or since. Yeah. You know, but this, this club called the Upstage, we used to you played from eight o'clock at night till five in the morning, mm-hmm. and you had to be sixteen to get in, no booze, and. Um, and if you and, and this crazy guy who you know created this concept, him and his wife, um, a place for kids to come and play, and you could play anything you wanted, you know. Right. Uh, and and uh, that's where we all kind of got our chops together, and met everybody. You know, Bruce discovered it first, and then he says, "Come on down, let's check this out." I went down there, and um, and it was just about jamming. Jamming was the thing in these days. This right. is like. Uh, 68, 69, you know, really jamming became, you know, the thing. And um, 
And, you know, that's why I, I hate to jam to this day because, you know, we, you would jam from eight o'clock at night till five in the morning. And, uh, and, and you, if you jammed all night, you made $5. And if you led the jam, you made $15, you know? Right. And we, and we, and we lived off that $15. I mean, three, three nights a week. So I was living off that $45 a week for a long time. And um, so that, so it started there. And then, um, and then finally we, we um, and then I got on this oldie circuit, which is a whole nother story this is where I met Dion. Mm -hmm. I come back from the oldie circuit, 73, 74. And, uh, and we, and me and Southside start, Southside Johnny Asbury Jukes. And we find a club that was there, there was thinking of closing because it was, I think the roof had caved in and, and, um, you know, so so we kind of had a negotiating position because in those days when you went to the bar scene, that's a whole nother scene from from like teenage dances. Now yeah. now you have to play the top forty. You have to play the top forty and what's on the radio, and that's it. You know, there yeah. was no exception to that rule. You know, so we say, listen, we'll 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 take the door. You know, we're not going to charge you anything. We'll take the door. You take the bar, but we're going to play anything we want. Right. Okay. And that was a radical, radical move. And, and they, they, they said, yeah, because they were going to close the place in like four weeks. They were, yeah. you know, trying to milk the last of the tourism. You know? Right. You know? right. <laughs> and, you know, and so now, so, okay. So now we're there and, and it's 50 people and then it's a hundred and then it's 200, you know, and it's building, right. They're like a residency is supposed to, yeah, yeah. you know, right. you know, and then, Bruce gets signed, uh, which is a, a big deal for somebody to just get to have a record contract. Right. But his first two records don't do anything. You know? Right. So he's so now he's in the music business, mm -hmm. which means it's a whole nother set of rules. And so now you, you have to play the in those days, there, there were the showcase clubs in every city. Every yeah. city had a showcase club. And, you know. And now you have to pay, you have to pay the band, you have to pay to be on the road. Yeah. And suddenly you can't work because your record's not doing enough. And the tour, in those days, you had some uh, tour support from record companies, which is a miracle. Right. But, but that would run out. So now he can't work. So he's coming down, he's hanging out with us. Yeah. You know I mean, he's getting, you know, he can't work, basically. Yeah. So, so he's coming down trying to figure out, you know, what, what to do for his third album, which is going to be his last chance. And, and so, so suddenly he had a little notoriety from being signed. Mm -hmm. We're mm -hmm. building up this crowd from just being really good. Mm -hmm. And, 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 uh, and uh, suddenly there's a scene, there's a yeah. scene, you know, uh, and, and uh, in the end, um, you know, he, 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 his career takes off. Uh, we get Southside Johnny signed. Mm -hmm. uh, and then eventually I, I, I get signed. So those three, th that, those three pillars of the scene suddenly, you know, have created not only a local scene, but now it's like it has national prominence. And, and this crazy record company guy that signed the Jukes, which I miss so much, this guy Steve Popovich was so crazy. Uh, he was from Freehold, from Bruce's town, and um, and he and he, we had a to, to introduce the Jukes to the country. We did a national broadcast 
from Asbury Park, right. which, which was just a crazy thing to do. I mean, nobody ever did that. You know, you, you, you did a broadcast from LA, or you did a broadcast from New York, you know, right. there was nothing else, and, you know. And, and so we did a live, live broadcast from Asbury Park, Stone, Stone Pony. And, uh, and uh, suddenly, man, it was a scene. And because we were there with the Jukes, you know, and, and do, playing all this crazy music, and you know, we're playing Otis Redding album cuts, and, and mm -hmm. uh, uh, Harder They Come had just come out. We're playing reggae, you know, introducing right. reggae to America. Um, you know, Sam and Dave, you know, we're playing, you know, just odd things. Um, and, and, and we're playing three nights, it built up to three nights a week. Right. They fixed the roof. They added it. They added to the place. We had a thousand people a night. A thousand right. people a night, three nights a week, and and but but we're playing things that were completely unfamiliar, yeah. and people just got used to it. So for for years after that, I mean, for many years, when new bands came to America from England or wherever, and they went and they 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 try and play the Stone Pony first because they were going to get a very receptive, enthusiastic crowd, even though they were just introducing a first album or, right. you know, if, you know, the people just got used to responding to what they were hearing, you yeah. know, spontaneously rather than having to know, you know, having to hear a hit on the radio. They, they, they just got used to hearing things that they weren't familiar with and judging them on their, on their own merits, you know? So that was a really, really cool crowd for, for a long, long time. And, you know, it probably still is to, to an extent. You know, it's it's funny now, like I heard, like if, you, if the record companies to sign you, it's not about like, you know, there's very few acts that can afford to just sit, sit and start a residency or something like that. They look at your social media. They look at how many followers you have. They look how many TikTok dances you have. And the record company doesn't want to do the marketing anymore. They want they want to just turnkey and then it, to the point where why don't why don't you just do it yourself? You know, and, yeah. you know, what do you think yeah. are the, 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 the pros and cons of, you know, I mean, you, you own a label now and, and, and what are the pros and cons of the music business from 1975 to 2021? Like what, what, what would you say the cool thing about being in the music business now versus 75 and vice versa? Well, it's an entirely different business, honestly. Uh, this is almost no comparison. Um, I, I don't really see anything, anything good about the modern world, you know, uh, really, I don't see any pluses at all. Uh, right. Back then, you know, you had, um, you had people ready to invest in you. Mm -hmm. and, and this is, this is the main thing, you know, people always talk about, you know, royalties and, you know, uh, trying to, you know, people being ripped off for their royalties and, you know, and I've, and I've had, you know, big discussions about this, you know, talking about Chuck Berry being pissed off his whole life because they ripped off his royalties, you know, and the Chess Brothers should not have done that, okay? They should have been better, 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 more transparent right. contracts in the early days. But, 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 you know, they made him famous, okay? And, and okay, they, they stole all of his record money, okay, let's just say, okay? Chuck Berry put $10,000 in cash in his guitar case mm -hmm. five days a week right. for 50 years after that, right. okay? Right. All right. I mean, you know, stop being so bitter, Chuck. Okay. Yeah. You know, you, you, you did okay. All right. You know, right. uh, and so, you know, the record companies were these not only a banks, but they were marketing machines and, you know, they made you famous. 
and you're no. going to be famous the rest of your life. And that's the difference between now and then. Okay. They stuck now, with you. you know, well, yeah, but even if they didn't, right. as long as you had one hit, you had you had a you had a lifetime career. You know, right. uh, you know, uh, and, and, and you know, and so so you, you know that that the marketing rules haven't changed. You know, uh, yeah, you can you can get a hundred percent of your own money by being your own record company, right. but you you, look, you still get the same marketing problems. You know, right. how do you let people know that you exist? You know, right. uh, that still costs money. You know, or if you get lucky, you might get lucky and have you know, be Justin Bieber or whatever, whoever it was that you know scored yes. from you know, you know, uh, and it's, you know, but you know, once in a while you hear you hear a story like that, but but mostly not. You know, so. Uh, and, and there's no curation going on either. So, um, you know, that, that that helped also in those days. You know, they weren't signing everybody. They, you know, they're signing who they felt was the best, who had the best shot at making it. So there was a bit of a Darwinian, you know, quality to the whole situation where survival of the fittest, you know, uh, you know. You sing, write, play, perform, and have an image. Yeah, yeah. And they'll, and they'll invest in you. And in those days... I mean, we didn't break with the E Street Band till the fifth album. Amazing. That, fifth you wouldn't album. Have to survive five albums now. Forget it. You ain't going to survive two. Right. I mean, in those days, they if you sold 200,000 records, you got dropped. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. You, you were a loser, man. Right. You know, I mean, now, you know, I mean, you, 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 you'd have a parade down Fifth Avenue. You sold 200,000 records. You know, I mean, so it's a whole, it's a whole different world right now. And honestly, I can't think of one single positive thing to say to you uh, that, you know, is better. Right. Um, you know, uh, uh, you know, really, uh, I can't. I mean, it, it's just, um, Everything's harder. Everything's mm -hmm. harder right now than, than it was. I mean, like I say, we we we've played over a thousand new bands, and who broke through? You know, the Hives and the White right. Stripes. I mean, right. you, know, you know, I mean, maybe one or two others. That's it. That's, not, That's it, man. Not, not good odds. You know, what's, what's, no. I, I, and and the fact checkers can fact me on it fact check me on this but i read up a couple of years ago like every friday because that's new music day they used to come out on tuesday but now it's a friday like right. ten thousand, eleven thousand records are released every friday how the hell do you even how do you even wade <laughs> through all of it you know what i mean who's who's exactly. who's a determined this is this is a great record and even the media has been truncated like you know you see if you get a, an article in rolling stone it meant something if you went on late night television you'd sell twenty thousand records that week no, they don't give a shit. It doesn't, it, 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 nothing moves the needle unless you get out there and just pound the pavement and keep in people's faces and, and are astutely, you know, you have to be a marketing guy to, 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 to survive. Yeah. And, and I'm telling you right now, and you're in one of the very, very few genres, you know, where, where some of the old rules still apply, you know, where, right. where you have, you have kind of an audience that exists already. Now right. you have to be good, you know. You, you know you happen to be one of, one of the great ones, mm -hmm. and 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 if you if you are one of the great ones, you can still succeed. You know mm -hmm. that's 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 a great thing to have because I'm, I'm I'm playing some great rock and roll bands on my record label, you know, and and uh, they're gonna have trouble, you know. Right. They're gonna have trouble making a living. They just they just are because that that existing audience for rock and roll no longer exists or it's so dissipated, you know. It's so right. fragmented. It just doesn't mean anything as opposed to the blues world, which, you know, 
has has a little bit more of a narrow focus and that's that's helpful that's helpful yeah like in, in rock and roll you probably every band has to start at zero where the blues you kind of start at 0. 0.5 <laughs> you get a few people you get a few people like oh blues man i'll go i'll go check it out hey before we wrap up i was just did you ever think in your life that when you would walk down the street you've been a celebrity for as long as you've been in the music bins as hey there's there's little steven hey there's steven van Zandt. you know did you ever think that that you walk down the street now and go silvio <laughs> i mean Look, it, was a, it, it was a dramatic sort of a revelation about the power of tv man right you know uh, at that point i had already been like a rock star for 25 years right. okay right you know yeah. And I, the show is on maybe two weeks, maybe three weeks. And mm -hmm. I'm walking down the street and it's all Sopranos. Mm -hmm. I mean, every single person came up to me like, rock star for 25 years, forget that, that's, that's, that's over, you know? I mean, it was Silvio, Silvio, Silvio. And, I, and I, you know, and I was pretty, I, was, I looked pretty different in that show, man, you know? Uh -huh. I mean, I wasn't, it wasn't easily recognizable either. And, and uh I swear to God, everybody on the street stopped me for Sopranos like two, three weeks into the show. And right. I was like, man, we, we must be onto something here because right. this is really weird, man. But, but the power of TV, man, was like, whoa, this makes rock and roll look like, you know, forget it. You know, it's like some, some underground cult, you know? I mean, TV is like, bam, right? You're in people's living rooms. And, mm -hmm. uh, it's amazing. It's amazing. Is it is it true you 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 auditioned for the role of Tony Soprano on that show? Mm. Yeah, 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 and uh, and I got it. And and uh, and and then uh, HBO was like said to David Chase, you know, are you out of your fucking mind? I mean, this guy never acted before. Right. He wanted to be the lead, you know. So um, at that point, I you know, it was such a crazy completely surreal experience at that point I, I just said to david i said wait a minute let's let's you know now that i think about it because he said you know take any part you want right and i said you know now that i think about it i i can't be taking an actor's job this is terrible you know i mean you know i'm some hippie guitar player off the street you know uh, i don't want to take an actor's job they work their whole lives you know so he says all right i'll tell you what then i'm going to write you in a part that doesn't exist that, that's how much I want you in the show. Wow. You know, so that's it. And that's what happened. You know, he wrote me in a part that didn't exist. And, uh, you know, it was, it was, what a gift to have a whole new craft at that age. You know, it was nice, nice. And I, and I took everything I learned, man, and I used it on Lilyhammer, you know, in Norway. Right. And, uh, you know, I, I, I co wrote it, I co produced it, I starred in it and, uh, did all the music and, uh, directed the final episode, you know. So right. wow. it was really, yeah, that was Lilyhammer experience was was really wonderful also. But uh yeah, David Chase gave me quite a gift. It was it was the best acting school you could possibly go to, you know. No kidding. <laughs> How did you find working on uh on a set versus in like a studio? Because a few times I've been in the TV world, I found it painfully slow compared to even even the studio like with studio like let's get a couple of takes or let's get three takes take a break come back you know with tv it's like yeah. we gotta set this up and then you wait an hour and then and then you you then okay now be great for 45 seconds oh we missed the shot set up and do it again did you find it kind of a like a culture shock coming from the world yeah. that you did yes i did and, and and it's not only that not, not only is it slow 
but you also got to completely change the way you think in terms of, um, you know, trusting the director, you know, because right. you got to get it out of your head, you know, because, you know, we, we, we go in and we do a solo or, or we do a vocal and we come in and listen to it. And we say, well, you know, let me try it again. Maybe I can do it better. You know, right. this thing you act, you know, mm -hmm. director says, you know, fine, you move on. And then you see it six months later. Right. You know, then you're like, wait a minute, uh, maybe I could have done that a little better, you know, or something, you know. So you got to like, you got to get it in your head. If the director's happy, you're happy, you know, and that that's a big leap. That's a big leap, man. You know, I'm like, how does he know I'm, I'm, I'm doing as good as I can do? You know what I right. mean? He's a total stranger, right? Yeah. How, how's he know I'm, 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 I'm doing as good as I can be? You know, you know, well, you just got to get used to that. And, and I, what, what, what helps, you know, with TV is I also spent some time on some movie sets, you know, for, for various reasons. And, and TV is, is super fast compared to movies. So, right. you know, you get, the, you get the movies, it's, it's quicksand at that point. Mm -hmm. So you come back to TV and TV actually is move, moves quite, you know, it pretty, pretty fast compared, right. compared to movies. So I got used to the pace and, uh, and got really kind of, the trip was going to Norway because, you know, Sopranos, we worked from 6 a.m. till 10 p.m. And, um, you know, you get to Norway and they believe in quality of life in Europe. Right. Okay. So you worked eight hours. That's it. You yeah. know, you were home five o'clock. You could have dinner. You could have, you know, meetings, go to a movie. You could have a life. So that was, you know, because as an actor, I was like, this is the greatest thing in the world. Right. As a producer, like, we're not getting anything done. We're right, right. <laughs> this is costing me money to be here. Right. Yeah. So, you know, but it was a, but it was a, it was a trip, man. You had, you, but you, you're absolutely right. You had, to, you had to really adjust, adjust to it, you know? You know, um, just to wrap up, you know, how special was, uh, was, was working with uh, James Gandolfini? He, he, I never met him, but he always, in the interviews that I saw, he always, he was completely a different person than the character that was Tony Soprano. You know, he seemed no, very... he, he, I, I, you know, I miss him every day. I mean, he, we, we got very close. And uh, as I've said a million times, you know, you did a scene with Jimmy and, and you walked away a better actor. Uh, simple right. as that. Um, you know, we bonded, I think, very early on because we we're both kind of side guys naturally. You know what I mean? Not like, you know... I've never been really crazy about the spotlight or being a front man. I mean, I, I learned to be a front man in the eighties cause I had to, you know, and I got, I got good at it, but, but my natural inclination is to be the, you know, I'd rather be the producer, you know, writer, producer. And, and he was a character actor. So, right. uh, so we kind of bonded on the fact that, you know, we occasionally have to rise to the occasion and be front men, you know, right. but we're really both not really comfortable with it. <laughs> you know, yeah. and, and I think we bonded on that right away. And, um, you know, because he had a he had a real tough time. I mean, coming from movies, like I said, where which were so slow, and you're doing two pages a day. You come to TV, you're doing seven pages a day, right? And four four of those pages are you. You know, he was yeah. he, he quit he quit the show like every day, every right. day. You know, I I had to talk him into coming back. <laughs> you know, so but uh, you know he this was a wonderful wonderful guy and and. Just at the beginning of his career, he would have been one of the great actors of all time. He, right. he was one of the great actors of all time, but uh, you know he would he just would have done nothing but wonderful things. Yeah, um, you know, 
not only as an actor, but I think as a, as a producer and a director and everything else, because he had a great mind. He was starting to get into producing and, you know, starting to uh, buy some scripts and things like that. So, so, so that's just a, a real tragedy, real tragedy. Yeah, it was. Tell me, just to wrap up, Little Steven's Disciples of Soul, five CDs, Mecca to Mecca. And uh, you, 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 played, you played a gig with your, your full band at the Cavern Club. How the hell did you get 15 people on that stage? Because I could barely get four. <laughs> yeah, we, we, we made it part of the Soul Fire package. Uh, and, you know, and if you already have the Soul Fire package, you can get Mac and Mecca separately, the Beatles tribute. But, when, you know, I, I got there and, and, you know, and, and they have the second room now. You know, they have the, the bigger room. Yeah. And they, they assumed, of course, I was going to play the bigger room. And I said, no, 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 no. I got to have those arches. Right, I've seen in that in that Beatles video. There's only yes. one film of the cavern where the Beatles played the cavern, and uh, you can see the, the the arches. So we we put we barely fit the rhythm section on that stage, and and then if you remember, there's like a partition next mm -hmm. to the stage and, and a hallway. We put the horns and the girls in the hallway. Right, which <laughs> you can see you can see it in the DVD, and um and I, we couldn't see them. We could we couldn't see them the whole the whole the whole set. Yeah. Uh, so I don't know how we started or ended together at, at all, to tell you the truth. But uh, it was just a, it was just a fun, fun trip, you know. I, completely spontaneous, you know. I, I just um, call up and said, you know, I remember reading that the Beatles did lunchtime sets, right? <laughs> you know, and uh, we were you know the local secretaries and shop you know clerks would bring their lunch to the cavern and the Beatles would play for half an hour. You know? Right. Thanks for being here. Um, it's an honor to talk to you, an honor to call you my friend. And, you know, we got to hang out more. Like, I'd love to, love to, I'd, I'd love to, I'd love to write and sing for you when I actually could fucking write and sing. Because when we worked <laughs> together, I couldn't fucking do anything. And I, it's my, one of my regrets in life. I just had no, I had no clue who I was. But um, no, it's, 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 it's a, you know, such a great story and, and, and it's such a, you know, you're just you're such a legend, you know. There's the one, the only. There you go. Uh, no, it's great, great seeing you, man. I'm so happy for your success, you know. Uh, you just happen to. I'm not even. I'm not even sure how or why we. Uh, I got to meet you in the first place, but uh, I, I don't remember that. But but anyway, I was, I was glad I did. Yeah. I, I have no idea how that happened, but you know, but it was just fun seeing seeing you blossom into this terrific, you know. I, I always tell artist. you. I, I, I always tell people, listen, I'm the guy who took the hammer to his own watch and I've been right twice a day for 20 years. So <laughs> luck has everything to do with it. So Steven Van Zandt, ladies and gentlemen, this has been live from Nerdville. Tune in next time for another exciting episode.